Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. Have you or someone you known struggled with infertility? Sarah Dean, the creator and host of the popular podcast, The Shameless Mom Academy, tells us her story of infertility, going through the emotional process of combating infertility, and the life changes that came as she successfully got pregnant with her son, Vinny. Quote, I'm getting an F and making babies. She bemoaned as she and her husband traveled this road of eager desperation. Tune in for the story of her journey and our discussion on how we acquire life tools that help us stay healthy through these moments that bring us to our knees. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. Sarah Dean is the creator and host of the Shameless Mom Academy podcast, a top-rated podcast rapidly approaching 1 million downloads. Sarah's biggest passion is helping women own their space. After enduring her own identity crisis following the birth of her son that she worked so hard for, Sarah took her background in psychology, health, wellness, and rebuilt her identity one step at a time. Part of what she does now is motivates and inspires women to stop shrinking and start growing and do that same thing. She is on a mission to inspire women and moms in particular to live bigger and bolder, braver every damn day. That's her hashtag. Let's get into our interview and her roller coaster story of pushing through those spaces a hero pushes through to get the rewards they seek. So welcome, Sarah Dean, host of the Shameless Mom Academy podcast to the Love Your Story podcast. Thank you for having me. What an honor to be here. What an honor to have you on the show. So I was on your show earlier and we had a great time kicking around ideas about story and um, you talk to moms about living big, living their big lives, creating their stories in ways that are supportive of their children and their families and all of this great stuff. I'll have all the links to her show in the, in the show notes, but tell us a little bit about that and then let's jump into your story. Sure. Um, So on the Shameless Mom Academy, I help moms live bigger, bolder, braver every damn day. And that is because my journey in motherhood um, basically made me fall to my knees at a few different points. But um, I thought that motherhood was going to be something that I could just like kind of fold into my life and just move on and it'll be like fun and easy. And I'd have a cute little baby napping in my arms all the time. And it was kind of not that at all. And so, um, as I re-navigated and re, um, built a new identity in motherhood, uh, I learned how hard that is and how long it takes. And once I got through to the other side, I was like, yeah, this is what I need to be doing now. I need to be helping other moms do this. <laughs> so the Which Shameless is- Mom Academy was born. Awesome. And speaking of being born, let's go back to the story of how you got your son. You and your husband dealt with some infertility issues. And this will be the first podcast on the Love Your Story podcast that deals specifically with this very real and raw issue for so many couples. And so you being willing to come on and share your story of how you discovered 
that you weren't going to be able to have children easily and the telling us the road about that, I think will be very helpful and inspiring to those who have had to walk down that road. So take us back to, to where that journey started. Sure. So my husband and I started trying to conceive, um, about, it was eight years ago or so. And we had spent, I am like a very, um, maybe neurotic type A person. So I had spent my whole life like making very sure I would not get pregnant and like birth control upon birth control upon birth control. And then come to find out it was going to be super hard for us to get pregnant. We wouldn't be able to get pregnant naturally. Um, And there was all these roadblocks in our way. And that was like just devastation upon devastation um, as we went through all that. And it was particularly hard for me as the type A person who always got like an A plus on every paper in school. Um, I felt like I was just constantly failing. And I joked with one of my best friends. I was like, I'm getting an F right now in making babies. (laughs) And um, so it took us two years and a lot of huge decisions that, I mean, infertility comes with so many decisions that are emotional and physical and financial. And it's just, it's, it's so much. And when you're in it, a lot of times you just keep taking the next step and you don't even, you can't even always connect with what you're doing because you're coming from this place of like eager desperation. And so after two years, um, we finally got pregnant through after nine rounds of IUI. Um, so we didn't have to go all the way to IVF that time. What is IUI and IVF for people who aren't familiar? Um, IUI is intrauterine uh, insemination. And so basically the the benefit of that was that I was able to do it at my doctor's office. And basically they just put a catheter into my uterus to put sperm into me um, in hopes that the sperm would meet the egg and everything would happen from there. And that was successful for us. um, And that allowed me to stay out of the, I didn't have to be in the fertility clinic space, which is like a whole nother corporate business model that like, that's a whole nother conversation that we won't have today. But, um, I was really trying to avoid that as much as possible. Um, and so we were able to get pregnant through IUI, but it took, we did nine rounds. And so what that meant is that, you know, there was eight rounds prior to that and a year prior to that of trying to get pregnant naturally, where it was just you know, every month waking up crying that it didn't work. Um, and that was a very private thing for my husband and I, we didn't share it with other people. We we each had like a couple of close friends that we talked to about it, but other than that, it was a very private thing and it was just, it felt very isolating and lonely. And it was a lot of like sitting by myself crying during the day while I was supposed to be working and no one really knew what was going on. So when this journey started, when you found out, did the doctor just say, yeah, you're not going to be able to have kids? What, you know, where did so that So we start? went through, it goes through phases where, um, you know, where like me calling my doctor and being like, you know, it's been like six months. Should we be worried? And she's like, no, you know, that's not too long. And let's try a few more months. And finally at nine months, I was like, well, like all, we had been testing all my stuff all along because again, type A neurotic person, I was like, I want to make sure I'm like in the perfect condition to get pregnant. So we knew what all my lab work looked like and what a lot of indicators looked like for me and that things looked pretty good, but I did have some irregularities in my cycle. So we knew that that was possibly an issue at nine months when nothing had happened. I said, is it too soon to have my husband tested? And she's like, you know, it's a little soon, but if you want to do that, go ahead. You'd have to pay for it out of pocket, but you know, if it makes you feel better, just go ahead and do that. So we did that. And that's where we found out there was some bigger issues at play. And so then from there we were like, okay, now what are the next steps from there? And so then we had to go to specialists. Um, I mean, we have all sorts, we went to a specialist who was 
like we spent 10 minutes in his office to get a second opinion. And he was like, yeah, I mean, we could fillet your testicles and see if we can get more information. But I think there's only like a 5% chance that we would be able to find out anything more. And I just don't really think it's worth your time. And then as we're walking out, he says, also, you know, this is like private family stuff. So I wouldn't like go around talking to people about this. And I was like, who are you? And he was maybe like 80. I mean, he was like I have a very hard time accepting feedback and advice from like old white men. It's a thing for me. And here's this man being like, your infertility is a family secret and you should tell no one ever. And I was like, livid. And then two weeks later, we got a $2,000 bill from that doctor for our 10 minute appointment. Whoa, really? Yep. And fertility is not covered in Washington. So we got to pay for that out of pocket. Ouch. I know. (laughs) Can you um, like challenge those kind of bills? So in hindsight, I wish I did. I didn't because when you're walking through it, you just are kind of like, okay, like this is just the next thing. Like you really don't have perspective until after the fact. So I didn't have perspective. I didn't tell my doctor about that appointment until after my son was born. And I casually mentioned it to her kind of joking. And she was like, what? And she said, I will never send anyone to him again. Like, I can't believe you didn't tell me. And I was like, I don't know. Like, I didn't even realize how big it was and how inappropriate that was until after the fact. So you just, you take it and you're at the mercy of the fertility, the corporate fertility model, which it's, it's big money. And so you just kind of go through it and you're like, I guess this is just what we do. And I didn't think to question anything. Um, now I would definitely handle it differently. But yeah, I didn't, didn't even enter my mind to question. I was just angry, but. So during that phase, what was the biggest challenge? You have no faith that it will actually ever work. And I have a friend going through this right now who went, she's gone through five or so rounds of IVF and had two or three miscarriages. And she just keeps saying like, I just don't trust my body. Like there's no proof that, that my body can do this. So every time you go into it again, you're just like, I don't know. Like, is this time going to work? Is, I mean, you kind of, at a certain point, you just expect like, well, here we go. I'm going to get another negative because I've never actually gotten a positive. So it becomes really hard to trust your body. And you live in these four weeks, or it's basically two week cycles of like, I just got my period, which means in two weeks, I'm going to be ovulating. And then you're like, okay, I just ovulated. Now it's going to be two weeks till I can take the test. And so you're living in these two week cycles that are just emotionally so um, exhausting and overwhelming. And so for me, it was just this like endurance event that I, and you, I, you just don't know when it's going to end or if it's going to end. And that's so, so hard, especially for someone who's like a planner and likes to get everything right the first time. It sounds like it was hopeless and yet you wouldn't keep moving forward if it, if it was completely hopeless. Right, right. It sounds dreary. Yeah. I mean, we were just kind of like, we're just going to keep going. We're just going to keep going. Um, and what's interesting to me is initially there were so many things I said, we, I was like, well, we'll do like, we're willing to take this step, but like, we're not going to take that step. So when we were trying to get pregnant the first time I was like, we'll do IUI, but like, I'm not doing IVF. Like that's just too much. That's too far. It's too invasive. It's too hard. Well, then when we decided to go try to get pregnant a second time, I was like, Oh, I just want to skip straight to IVF. (laughs) I was like, this thing I said I would never do. I'm like, let's just go right there. So it's interesting how your, um, you know, your standards really change and your definition of like what you're willing to 
be resource in the ways you're willing to be resourceful really, really change and shift. And that was um, really eye opening to me. And almost like without even giving it a second thought. I mean, when we decided we were going to get pregnant to try it for a second baby, I went into my doctor's office and I was like, what are my best chances? If it's IVF, let's do that right now. And that was like easily the most physically demanding and the mo- for sure the most expensive thing to do. And I was like, I'm all in, let's do it. So we've already referred to the second pregnancy here, but let's go to the happy ending of the the first pregnancy. So how long did it take to get pregnant with him and how was the pregnancy? So it took two years, about two years to get pregnant and um, finally got pregnant. And then I was super sick my first trimester. And after, and that was your normal, you're normal. Right. Right. It was normal sickness, but it was awful. And I'm not a good nauseous person. I'm like a really miserable nauseous person. So I had to like be really mindful that like, you're supposed to be grateful right now because I really hated life during that time. Um, so then he was born and everything, he was great and perfect. Um, but he was a really hard baby. And again, I was like, you're supposed to be really grateful right now. Remember how hard you worked for this. <laughs> um, that took some time for that gratitude. Uh, but now, I mean, it, he's, it's been like clearly easily the most amazing thing of my life. I mean, like no questions asked, but it was really hard. And I didn't expect that. I thought, I, I really thought like, once we make this work finally, like that's the finish line. And then I was like, oh my God, no, like that's the start line. (laughs) Right. Which actually, I love that you say that because it, I look at how much and, and I'm looking from the outside, so I don't even know, but I look at how much it has affected your entire life since then you gave up your old career to embrace the shameless mom Academy, which is based around being his mother, being his mother and um, moving forward and and living really big and creating that space for others from this place of empowerment. And so it it affected your career. You changed your family life. You've got this child now. And really that's, that's a lot of dominoes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like all for the best, but it took me three years to realize like this is all good. Um, It was like three really hard years of, motherhood for me to be like, okay, like this is who I am now. This is Sarah, the mom. This is like, this is where the direction that we're going now. Um, because I did not expect it to be so hard. I just thought like, as soon as we get through this infertility stuff, like then finally it'll just go back to normal. <laughs> right. Kids change everything. You have no idea, no idea right. until you're actually in it. Right. Right. Okay. So the second bout of infertility, um, you decide you want to have a second child and what happens? So we never really decided that we wanted to have a second child. We more decided that we should probably try out of like a sense of obligation to our first child. Like it would be the right thing to do to give him a sibling. Um, and it really started off with me being like, let's just explore. We know that if we're going to do this, we know IVF is the best way to do it. Like that gives us the best chances for where we're at in our life, given our situation and our ages and et cetera, et cetera. So I just said to my husband, I'm like, so let's just go to like this informational meeting about IVF and then let's go like have a doctor do blood work. And so we were just taking these little steps that were kind of like data collection steps. And at a certain point I was like, 
so I think we're actually doing IVF now, like, cause we just kept going back for more appointments. And I was like, I, I think maybe we're like completely signed up. I'm not really sure. Um, cause at no point was I, were either of us like, well, we're not going to do this. So we just kind of kept doing like whatever the doctor would say, like, here's the next thing that we can do. And we were like, okay, I guess we'll do that. What exactly um, is IVF then? What does that uh, look like? Or in vitro fertilization, I guess. So with that, you have the sperm from the dad, you have the egg from the mom, which is surgically collected. Um, and then they put them basically in a Petri, Petri dish for the cells to, for the uh, sperm to fertilize the egg. Once that happens and those eggs, um, that the sperm and the egg reproduce into enough cells and look like high quality enough cells, then they put them back into the woman's uterus um, through uh I believe it's just through a catheter. I'm not sure that because we never got to that part. But um, so that part I think is pretty simple. And then um, from there, you hope that you actually can see, you hope that there's implantation and a baby starts to grow. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So what was, um, what happened with yours and they just did never take? So we decided that we were going to do it. We were told because of my age and our circumstances that we should do three rounds of egg retrievals, which would be basically be like three period cycles for me of doing a bunch of drugs to get my body to produce a bunch of extra eggs and then go in and have three surgical removals of as many eggs as possible. And they were hoping by doing that, that we would get maybe 20 or so eggs and that of those enough would be high quality that we could put pass them along to be fertilized. And of those enough would be high enough quality that we would get good quality um, embryos. And so when they told us that, I was like, I'm not, we don't even know for sure that we like are prepared for second child. I'm not doing three rounds of this. Like that just was, first of all, really, really expensive. And what that would be for my body over the course of like three to five months would be really physically demanding and grueling. And I was like, I'm not like, I'm not in. So I said, let's do one round of egg retrievals and see what happens. And like, we'll go all in on one round, which was still a huge financial commitment was still a big physical commitment for my body. Um, I was like, let's do one round and like, just call it good. And we were felt really good about that. Cause we were like, you know, if it doesn't work, it's the universe is telling us that we're fine with one child. And if it works, then great. We have a second child, which is terrifying, but we'll figure it out. So we were kind of like, we're good either way. Um, so that's what we ended up doing. And when we did that, we, uh, I actually took better than expected to the drugs and everything. So I got more good eggs than they thought, or I got, I produced more eggs than they thought. We didn't know if they were good eggs, but I produced more eggs than they had expected me to based on my previous lab work. And so they went in, they took out the eggs, they did the fertilization. And over the course of a few days, you get these calls, these updates for like, here's what's going on with your eggs today. Like, I, you know, the lab will call you. And so the guy who ran the lab was like the most awful person to be making these phone calls. And so he would call and he'd be like, well, it doesn't look good. Three of them aren't going to make it, but six of them, they look okay. And I was like, oh my God, that's not how you deliver information to like someone who is in a desperate time of their life. And I was like, not in a super desperate place. Like I still was like, I'm good either way, no matter what happens. But many people who go to IVF are very emotionally drained and very fragile. And you don't just call them up to be like, well, it's not that great. Here's what we got. Like you start with the good news. You're gentle with the bad, you know? So, so uh, this whole time when you're doing this second round, were you keeping it private again within your family? So good question. 
Um, I had decided because I thought that I was just completely fine with any outcome. I was like, I'm going to share this publicly <laughs> and I'm going to talk about it on my podcast. and I'm going to tell the world what IVF is all about. So I was post, I was sharing the story as we were going through it. Um, I was posting pictures of like, here's what it looks like to give yourself the shots every day. And here's, you know, what the appointments are like. And, and so I was really actively sharing it pretty much live as we were going through it, which um, I thought was great. I mean, I loved the interaction. I was getting tons of private messages from people who were like, you know, I've been through that or I'm about to face the same thing, or I've always wondered how that worked. Or maybe my sister went through IVF or someone I know, and I have never known what the process was like. So it was really cool to be able to share that and also felt really productive rather than in the, you know, previously I had sat alone in infertility. Um, you know, my, my husband was there too and a couple of close friends, but for the most part, it felt really lonely and isolating. And so to share that story as we were going through it, was actually really, really validating and felt really good. It was like really cathartic to have conversations with people about it as we were going through it um, until, until we got to the end. So you did that because you felt like you were removed enough from it that you could be yeah. public and... Yeah, I was like, I'm totally like, I'm not committed to any outcome. I'm good either way. I mean, this is how I felt about my son. I was like, we don't, if it's a boy or a girl, I'm good. Like either way, I'm fine, which was totally the case. Like, and that's how I kind of equated. I was like, either way, I'm going to be totally good. There's pros and cons to both. So that's kind of was my mentality going through the whole, really like the whole entire thing until the very end. Okay. So what happened at the very end? <laughs> so then at the very end, um, so we had at the very end, so we'd gotten our last call from the lab and we were told that again, as all the calls started with, well, it's not good news. You only have one embryo that made it today. I can't, I think it had to make it to like day six. You only have one that made it to day six. Um, so the rest of them didn't make it. And this is this guy with like the most awful bedside manner. So I was like, okay, thank you. I was in line at the airport about to go through security. I was like, okay, thanks for letting me know. But in my mind, I was like, there's one, like, that's all you need. So I was like, we're good. Like we got one and I'm strong. Like that is a strong egg. So, um, we were told, we just had decided because of my age that we would do genetic testing on the embryo. So the process for that is that they freeze it and then they do testing and it takes about two weeks to do all that. So I was told we would get the results like two weeks later. So like a week and a half later, I'm at the grocery store and my doctor's office calls me and I was like, I don't think this is going to be the results because it's too soon, but I'll take the call just in case. And I even thought, even if this is the results, it's okay if I take this call in a grocery store because I'm fine. Like I'm good either way. So I take the call and it's my doctor and she said, Hey, do you have a minute to talk? And I just could tell from her voice, I was like, this isn't going to be good. And I was like, I was like, yeah, I have a minute. I was like, how are you? What's going on? Like, I'm trying to make small talk. And she's like, so let's talk about your results. <laughs> and she was very much like ready to get to the point. So she said, um, we got the results back and your embryo has trisomy. I can't remember if it was trisomy 18 or trisomy 21, but both of them um, are def like babies generally most babies, most embryos that have that um, are miscarried early, early on. If they make it to full conception, they don't survive more than, you know, maybe a couple of days or a week. Wow. So, so basically we had one embryo that was, I mean, no medical professional would recommend actually transferring it to attempt pregnancy with it because the chance of miscarriage would be really high or like infant, almost immediate infant death. Um, so, wow, I'm so sorry. Thank you. Um, so I hear this in the middle of the grocery store and 
I was like, okay, thank you. And then she's like, but you know, we'll just try again. Let's get you on the books to come back in. And I was like, I'm not, I said, I, I don't think we're trying again. Um, but like, I'll call you. Like, I, let me just like take a few days. I'll call you. So she's like, okay. And I remember ha- like hanging up my phone and standing in the store and feeling like this like vortex <laughs> that like everything around me, like in the store, there's a lot of like peripheral noise. Everything had just gone like silent and closed in on me. And I had sunglasses on my head and I just like put my sunglasses down. And I remember walking through the store and being like, I don't have a clue what I'm here for. Like I could not, like, do I need bread? Do I need milk, like eggs, lettuce? What? I had no clue what I was at the store for. And I was just walking, pushing my cart. And I was like, okay, like just keep walking, take a few deep breaths. Like you're gonna be okay. So I texted, my phone was about to die. I texted a girlfriend who knew what was going on. I said, we just got the call. It didn't work. She's like, you have to call Vince, your husband. And I was like, I can't. My phone's about to die. I'm at the grocery store. And so she's like, you have to call him. You have to call him. So she keeps texting me this. I'm like, I'm like, no, I'm not. My phone's about to die. So I, I think my phone actually died. And I'm just walking down the aisles with my sunglasses on crying and thinking like, I'm just going to take this time, cry it out. Like I got my sunglasses on and I turn a corner in the grocery store. And one of our friends, this couple that we know who has two little kids, the husband is like right there. And he, like, we almost bump into each other. And I'm like, oh my God. I was like, I cannot have a conversation right now. And so I like have my sunglasses on. I remember, like, I don't know what we said to each other, I just remember trying to figure out like, how can I get away from him right now? And he's the nicest guy, but I was like, I can't, like my husband doesn't even know what's going on. I can't tell this guy. So I was like, had some super awkward conversation. Um, I got myself out of the store. I got into the car, charged my phone, called my husband. Um, and I told him about, and I was just like a hysterical disaster. And then I texted my girlfriend whose husband I saw at the store. I was like, I don't know what just happened. I saw your husband. I have no clue what I said. Just an FYI, like, here's what happened. Um, and so, and part of my processing was like telling people, so like calling good friends, texting good friends and just like letting them know. And and they were all amazing and calling me back. And so I just sat in my car for like two hours and cried and called people on the phone. (laughs) Um, and then I real I was like, so apparently I care. Apparently I was attached to this outcome that I really didn't think I was attached to. And that was the beginning of a very long process of grief. What did the process of grief look like and how did you learn to process it? So for me at first, it was a, like a big sense of loss. And what's weird is it was like a sense of loss for something like I didn't even know that I wanted. Like, I really was like, I don't know if this works, like how we're going to manage with two. So I felt like I should be relieved, but I wasn't. And I think part of it is that when someone, when you have a door closed like that against your own will, this sense of like, that you don't have control over the outcome is really overwhelming. And that felt very different to me than us selecting like that we're not gonna have a second child. To be told you can't have, I mean, there was this sudden desperation. Like I was literally within hours on Google about like how to adopt in Seattle. (laughs) And, And like that had never been part of the plan. Like that was never, you know, we'd never talked about that, but I was like, oh, I need another baby like now. And so, that process of grief was just a big sense of loss initially that I hadn't expected. 
And then a lot of processing around being really conscientious about if this is what our reality is going to be, how can we embrace this story? And so I was so lucky years ago, a client of mine, when I was a personal trainer, she was in her early forties. And I remember her telling me, I don't remember how the subject of kids came up, but I remember her saying, you know, we had had a bunch of miscarriages. And when I turned 40, I just said to my husband, I'm not doing this anymore. It's so grueling. I'm done. Like instead of trying so hard for something that's not working, let's build a life that we could have never lived if we had kids. And that I was like, I can't think of a better perspective to have. So that was really what I clung to. And I just kept thinking, okay, if this isn't going to happen, then we're going to build a life that we couldn't have if we had multiple kids. And so this is something that we continue to be conscientious of. And so one of the first things we did is we were like, well, we're going to Europe because we were like, if we wait until then, you know, at the time, my son was about to turn four. So we were like, let's start planning. We can go in a year. He'll be almost five. We would never take a newborn on that trip. And so we actually ended up doing that trip when we would have otherwise had, you know, if, if IVF had worked, we would have had like a two month old at that time. So that timing was, was precious because it was a good reminder that like, you don't have the baby, but you're, this is what you've chosen instead. And so we went to Europe and it was an amazing, amazing trip. Um, nice reframe. Really, that's really, that's what it's so powerful, so powerful. And anybody in any space can do that same type of thing. Look at what you've got to deal with and figure out how do I frame this so that I can move forward in the best possible life, creating this best possible story with what I have. Right. Right. So that was kind of where that piece began. And that's, and it's continued to be that way where, you know, I ended up selling my, I was a fitness business owner for the last 16 years. I ended up selling my gym last spring because I was like, this isn't part of me anymore. It's not part of my identity that I want to continue to grow. It was something I was really proud of, but it wasn't where I felt the most connected anymore. Um, I was way more connected to being of service to moms and, and helping moms embrace their new identities in motherhood. And dealing with the grief in, in learning how to reframe your life, love that you're doing that. Um, what other tools or did you find other tools that were really helpful to you in just creating and living forward? Um, I think for me, it's been a lot about mindset resets and it's also been um, another, you know, another resource or uh, well I'll, I have I'll give you some more tangible resources in a minute but another re- mental uh, mindset reset that's been really helpful for me is that there's a lot of other ways that I can mother and so part of that is through my work and so that's been really helpful um and then the idea that I can have like we can always have foster kids or adopt or whatever, like that, that no, that felt so final or that result that felt so final when IVF failed doesn't have to be final unless we decide that that's the end of the story. And so that's been really helpful. Whereas initially, you know, I was not at all interested in considering adoption or foster care. And that's something that's like now I obsess about, and I don't know if we want to do that, but it's something that is on the table and that we do have conversations about. And part of that for me just creates peace in knowing that there's options and I don't have to decide today, but that there's always an option out there. And that feels so much better than that final, like, no, you can't have this. Um, so that's been really helpful to me as well. Um, 
And then other, in terms of other tools, you know, I always fall back on things that make me feel strong, powerful, and capable. And so for me, that's like getting up and working out first thing in the morning and reading personal development books and just always being trying to be on top of being in my best mental state and being of service to other people and proving to myself that I'm physically strong and like, um, getting my endorphins flowing so that I can like, like, I know that that keeps me sane and it keeps me from letting negative emotions pull me down. And so I'm really aware of how I can use self-care to manage my mental health. And I use it like all the time. Nicely Um, done. Yeah. I mean, I get, I got really tied into like, if I feel stuck, these are the things that help me get unstuck. And sometimes that's taking a 10 minute walk with the dog. And sometimes it's doing a boxing session and sometimes it's meditating for five minutes, but you have to get really clear with yourself on like what works for you. Cause that looks different for other people. But really one, of, one of the things that I have available on the website that people can sign up for is the 21 challenges. It's the 21 life connection challenges, but they're like that. They're, they're these kind of tools. There's 21 different ones that you just try a new one every single day until you find yours. You know, right, like what right. you said, I find the things that work for me. And that's what the 21 challenges are is you're going to try all 21 of them, but there may be only four that are yours, or there may right. be 11 that are yours, but finding out what those are and then having them in your tool belt to use that help you create the life you want, that help you get out of stuck places that help you create connection with people that help you create that great life story moving forward. That's what those are all about. So I, I love your example because that is active participatory living, you know, on your terms. Right. And it gives you power. I mean, I I think that's so great that you have that because it does, it gives you like immediate power where there's, Mm -hmm. it's easy to feel powerless in your story. And if you know, immediate, you know, if you have that go-to of where you can find that power when you need it, then you don't have to feel that way. And you might, you know, you're going to have waves here and there, but you don't have to sit with them for too long because you know how you can pull yourself out and you can be responsible for that. I was reading a quote today and this is not, but I mean, this is totally butchering it, but the idea was, you know, life is like an ocean. There are going to be times when the waves are horrible and times when it's sort of flat, but what you have to learn to do is learn how to swim. Yeah. Regardless. And, and that's why what you're talking about, what the 21 challenges are, you don't know what your tools are until you find them, until you test them out and find out what works for you. So that's what the 21 challenges are about. And you being proactive and on top of it, you've already done that. You've found the things that work for you and you go there when you're in the spaces that you need them. So really great job. Nicely done. Thank you. Do you have any parting thoughts or things that you want to share about your story before we sign off? Yeah, I think that for me, something that I've really learned to embrace at this point is the power of knowing your story and owning your story rather than your story owning you. And so for me, I'm really conscientious. I've actually, I've, I've, I made myself do a podcast episode about this. Like it was actually super cathartic and I enjoyed it, but where I took like three big stories from my life and talked about turning struggles into strengths. So I think that when you look at, you can look at any story in your life, whether you've come from a really abusive background or overcome addiction or whatever. And you look at that story and you look at like, how does that story give me power rather than that story own, you know, how do I own the story rather than the story owning me? And since I've done that, it's been, it's made me feel 
so in control of anything, like anything could happen. And I have, and I mean, you probably talk about this all the time, but I, I feel like anything horrible could happen and I could figure it out because I would want to be, I would be so invested in how that story would end. And so I think about worst case scenario stuff. And I, cause again, neurotic type A person, I think about worst case scenario stuff. And I'm like, but this is how I'd write the ending to the story. So if something Love happens, it. if something happens to my husband, I know how that story ends already. Like that would be horrific, but I know how that, like I would be responsible for ending that story. Absolutely love that. What a great (laughs) note to end on. (laughs) Thank you, Sarah, for being here. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Where can people get a hold of you? Um, What's your website? What's your podcast links? You want to give us a little of that? Yeah. So I'm on the Shameless Mom Academy podcast. So any podcast app, just do a search for the Shameless Mom Academy. My website is shamelessmom.com. So all my episodes are there as well as other information to connect with me. And then we have our Shameless Mom community called Shameless Mom hashtag every damn day, which is at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. So that's a free Facebook group for Shameless Moms. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. We all have such different life stories, but they are tailor-made for each of us. The storylines are diverse, but the similarities lie in the concept of challenge, overcoming, facing fear, rising when we are brought to our knees, or not. I love the idea of reframing the story when it doesn't turn out as we expect. We talk about that a lot, but the way that she took what had happened to her, what her actual circumstance was, and then framed it in a way of what can I do with this now was not a way that we'd actually talked about reframing before. Most of the time we've talked about reframing a past story to find the purpose and the meaning behind the things that we went through, which helps us to take our power in moving forward, not being kept in a victim space, but in a learning growth, moving forward, powerful space. But her way of the this other approach to reframing of saying, okay, this is what my life looks like now. How do I make the best of it? That's another powerful space. Loved that. Taking the power back for finding joy in your current circumstances. As we each go through our lives, we find the tricks that work for us if we seek for them. For living through the tough spaces and creating mindsets and self-care that buoy us during our times, during the wars and our challenges, if we look for them, we can find them. And because everybody's life and challenges is so different, the things that are going to buoy us up are going to be different and personal to each of us, just like we talked about. If you don't have your toolbox with the tried and true tricks that work for you, I'm going to suggest you go to loveyourstorypodcast.com and under tools, choose the 21 Life Connection Challenges. Sign up for that system of trying out 21 different life connection tools that you can personalize for your own support and active live creation as you head into your life, whatever that looks like. Live big, people. Live big. Use the tools that are out there for you and I've definitely got some on the website. You can also access all of the episodes on the website and leave us a review if you like the show. Thank you. I'll see you next week as we tell the next story. Mm